This is the Law Podcasting Podcast, where you learn how to use modern media to get your message out and more good clients to your law practice. Here's your host, Gordon Firemark. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to episode number 22 of the Law Podcasting Podcast. I'm your host, Gordon Firemark, and this is the show where I share information about how lawyers can use the power of podcasting in support of and development of their business, even if they're not podcasting about the law. Now, my guest, my guest today, Ben Snitkoff, is a former big law attorney who decided to take his experience and create a law practice of his own. So he started Modern Renaissance Legal to provide the legal assistance that entrepreneurs, artists, and startups need but often cannot afford. And he's based in the Boston, Massachusetts area where I'm told we're having a beautiful, beautiful day. Hi, Ben. Welcome to the show. Hi, Gordon. Thanks for having me. All right. So tell us a little bit about Modern Renaissance Legal and how you got started and, and what that's all about. Uh, I, as you mentioned, I was working at Big Law. I kind of wanted to broaden my practice because a lot of big law firms uh, have their associates concentrate on you know one very specific niche area. And uh, I kind of wanted to broaden out and do a little more and uh, help smaller companies and, and individuals and especially uh, artists in the area because Boston has a great artist community and mm -hmm. there's just not a lot of support for them as far as uh, getting their work copyrighted and uh, negotiating contract agreements with service providers and galleries and the like. So uh, that was that was the motivation behind the firm. And uh, I've been up and running for um, several months now. I opened uh, late summer, early fall last year. Oh, great. So far, so good. Things are looking up. They are. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're here to talk about podcasting. And Ben, you, you first came to my attention, gosh, must be about four years ago, maybe a little longer. Um, you were doing a show called Technically Legal, and you blog at Technically Legal also. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. The blog is still running, although uh, not terribly frequently. Mm -hmm. um, and then the podcast ran from 2009 to 2011. And I think we probably talked in uh, late 2010, so almost five years ago. Yep, yep. We were talking about uh, joining forces in a network of, of uh, legal podcasts. You were one of the earliest ones I became aware of. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I, I found your format very interesting and uh, the show was dynamic. And well, we're going to talk about all of the, the decision-making that went into starting and ending and so on. Um, talk a little bit about what the show was and, and the format. So the show was called Technically Legal. It was the Technically Legal podcast, and it, it spawned out of the site. The site was originally a response to, and I'm going to uh, throw some shade on Wired here. Uh, Wired had a blog called Threat Level mm -hmm. back in 2008 and 2009, and I think it's still existing now. But when it first started, they were just awful at getting the law right. And uh, some of my friends from law school were reading it and just shaking our heads yeah. going, somebody's got to be doing this better. And we found out that there was nobody on the internet doing it better than that. So uh, we sat down and brainstormed names for a while and registered technicallylegal.org because technicallylegal.com was taken at the time hmm. by a site that had been defunct then for a couple of years. But, um, you know, the, the website wasn't, the URL wasn't available. So uh, we basically did a rapid response to stories on the internet when somebody was uh, getting something really wrong about new legislation or about some patent lawsuit that had been filed, we would write uh, articles of varying length from you know a paragraph or two to some of the longer pieces were probably 500, 600 words, just clarifying the law and kind of telling people that the case doesn't stand for what 
you know, some of the bigger news agencies were saying it was, it meant, you know, it wasn't the end of the world, like so many agencies report. So you were muddying the big, the big media waters a little bit with the truth. (laughs) (laughs) We were doing our best at least. And, uh, after having the site up, I forget how long it was after we started the site, but we started the podcast in June of 2009. And, uh, what we would do is throughout the course of the week, we'd send stories around to each other and pick the top three stories that we thought were the most interesting legally, the biggest ones as far as attention they had gotten and the ones that needed the most clarification. So we'd kind of weigh those three elements and also, you know, what, which ones we were most interested to talk about. Uh, we'd make a decision usually by Friday as to what stories we were going to cover mm-hmm. and then we'd record on Sunday. Okay. And you, uh, you had co-hosts. Tell me about them. Yep. Uh, David O'Brien and Dominic Rabier, uh, they were, uh, colleagues of mine from law school and uh, have since gone on. Dominic's now in business school, finishing up business school, and David O'Brien is working with the Berkman Society for Internet and Society. Oh, very cool. And you're doing the solo law thing. That's awesome. I am. We all went very different ways. Uh, so, Dominic was initially in-house too, so we've kind oh. of done everything. So what was the allure of podcasting? What was it that made you guys decide to do it? We liked talking about these cases and we liked bouncing the ideas off of each other Mm -hmm. and it was something that we just didn't get from writing them out you know when somebody was writing an article you know they'd see something that was interesting decide to write it and they'd do their own research and and write up the article but it wasn't as collaborative as i think we really wanted the site to be Mm -hmm. and we were all listening to podcasts and just decided one day that you know let's try it out see how it see how it works so this is about uh, well about six years ago that you started, and tell me about the startup process and how that would do. Or you guys do it yourselfers? Did you have help in in getting it organized and configured? Or talk about that. It, it was all us, and we were all techie people to some degree or mm-hmm. another. You know, I did some computer science in college, and you know, been keeping up with tech news. Dominic is a programmer, went to MIT, mm-hmm. and uh, Dave is also a real techie guy. So. We all came to the table with our own solutions. Um, I think we all had different gear. Uh, mm-hmm. They were on PCs. I've always been on a Mac. Mm-hmm. And we used a few different methods over the years to actually record the podcast as well. But as far as all the leg, and we can get into that in a second, mm-hmm. uh, as far as the legwork goes, that was all on us. You know, we uh, set up the Google Docs to you know, share stories and mm-hmm. uh, did all the recording and post-processing ourselves. So you guys were in separate locations doing a, what, a Skype call or something? Uh, yeah. So we started out on Skype and this 2009, 2010 <laughs> were a period of time where Skype was just having a lot of problems with latency. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'd get people who would kind of, uh, I, it, the word I can think of is go Skypey where, you know, the sound would start uh, degrading and then breaking up and then cutting in and out. Starting Which to sound still, like a Cylon from the Battlestar Galactica series, right? Yes. <laughs> Which is still a problem that, you, that you'll hear on podcasts, but it's a lot less frequent than it used to be. So I think we recorded maybe a year and a half, mm-hmm. year or a year and a half on Skype. And then we moved to a product called Ventrilo. Hmm which at the time was very popular for gamers. I see. Um, it would kind of run in the background, and you could have a hotkey that would um, turn on, turn your microphone on and off. Oh. So, uh, uh, so you could kind of hotkey while in game to get the, the sound across. And that worked really well. Um, we barely had any problems with sound quality after that point. Very cool. Interesting. I had no idea when I was listening to the show. Um, so what were some of the technical and, and other hurdles that you encountered in getting things up and going? 
Uh, the biggest one I think was getting the sound quality to be, uh, you know, the, the best it could be. And later on, and uh, so let's start with <laughs> technically legal and then I can go on to later on. Sure. Uh, so the Skype problems was we identified and just talked about, uh, we would have one person record it any given week. Yeah. Uh, and whoever recorded it would usually then go and edit it. I can't speak to what the other people used. Uh, I used a program called Fission, mm-hmm. F-I-S-S-I-O-N, which I think is Mac only. Mm. That it, it's not a very high, it's not a very full-featured audio editing program. Yep. But what it does do, and it does do very well, is let you select an area of audio, mm-hmm. increase the volume or decrease the volume if somebody was coming through too hot, sure. uh, or if there's one section where you know there's a big crash in the background and you want it to dim it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, it allowed you to cut and splice audio very easily and very quickly. And it had a waveform, so I could go through. A podcast, you know, a forty-five minute podcast, and you know, fifteen minutes or less, and mm-hmm. clearly identify all of the spots where there is dead air, snip them out very quickly, and move on. Okay, good. And so, uh, so okay, so that that was the the technical stuff so you, you mentioned later on. Should we talk about that now? Uh, yes. Okay. And later on, I did a very short-lived podcast uh, with another project of mine called The Year From Scratch. Uh-huh. And that one, we did a different process for recording. We did what's called double heading. Yeah. So I would record on my end and uh, the other guy would record on his end. We'd take both of the files. I'd import them into GarageBand. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, my partner also used GarageBand because he was also on a Mac. Mm-hmm. And then combine the two native streams. So you get a much higher quality audio mm-hmm. like that. It does take longer. And in that case, we had... Oh, one instance, which was really interesting, where he recorded it at one bit rate, but it saved it at a different bit rate. So I couldn't match up the two audio streams because oh, his wow. was going faster than mine. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it took him, I don't know, maybe a half hour to figure out what was going on and to fix it on his end. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah. It's a very unusual problem. Okay. So you guys were in, in sort of different legal environments at the time that you were doing technically legal. And. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you find that it was supportive of the practice or was it just a hobby kind of a thing for you? Uh, none of us were in a private practice actually mm-hmm. at the time that it was going on. So I was working for the state as a clerk at the Massachusetts Appeals Court. Okay. Um, one of the other people was at the Berkman Society, at the Berkman yeah. Center for Internet and Society kind of doing public law work with mm-hmm. – um, uh, public law work uh, and the third person was in house so none of us at the time were doing it to build our own practices mm-hmm. and you know at the time when I moved into private practice my firm actually asked me to stop blogging and podcasting because they, you know they wanted some control over you know what their what their employees said publicly about the law lest it conflict with one of their clients positions uh, so what year was this this was 2011. Okay, wow. so fairly recently in in the scheme of things, there was yeah. law firms were saying we don't want our associates to blog. It was <laughs> wow. I, I mean, the the party line was more we don't want them to blog without it being approved by a mm-hmm. partner or the practice group manager. Yeah, uh, and somewhat ironically, uh, after I had been there for um, almost two years, they asked me to blog <laughs> on one of their one of the firm's blogs of which they had several sure they, they just wanted somebody to review it got and it. they wanted somebody to have approval of whether or not you know something got published so it was more of an editorial process than a a policy on the subject of content marketing altogether 
Yeah, I, I, th- I think that's correct. And they had several blogs at the time I came in. They just didn't want this. They didn't. They didn't want somebody to be blogging outside of the bureaucracy of the firm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And um, so, elaborate a little more. So the, there was a concern that you might say something that would then be held against a client of the firm. Or that <laughs> I think the the concerns were, and one of these is I think they're both kind of unfounded. Yeah. One of them would be. Uh, you know, I post something about non-practicing entities on my blog, uh-huh. and then a client who's a non-practicing entity comes and reads it and goes, "Well, wh- why is your employee, why is your associate saying bad things about non-practicing entities?" The other concern is we post something, I post some analysis of a case. Uh, you know, that's my own mm-hmm. personal opinion, mm-hmm. and then opposing counsel sees it and you know submits it as an exhibit to a motion in court. You know, opposing counsel even admits in this blog. <laughs> that you know this is an interpretation of the case i suppose that's a valid concern although I, you know i mean how many times do you take a position in a case that's on the public record and then a year later you're taking the ad the, the opposite position on behalf of a different client um, right and you know there's legal guidance on that that sure. as long as you know you're you know you're not make, have, making those two representations at the same time in front of the same court for clients who have you know opposite goals yeah. you're you're usually in the clear. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, so there are some ethical and and practical concerns to be addressed when you're doing any kind of content. I guess. Okay. So you, mm-hmm. so that firm asked you not to, and as I recall, one of your other guys also was getting some pushback. Yeah, there were a couple of stories in the news at the time that the um that one of the organizations had ties to, and they asked one of my co-hosts not to comment on that story, and I. I'm blanking on what story it it mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. at the time. Um, I want to say it was one of like the PS3 hackers. There was somebody who hacked the PS3 and was uh, thrown in jail for it, mm-hmm. or at least arrested. Yeah. Um, and they asked; they had some ties to the to the subject of that, to the defendant in that case, mm-hmm. and uh, asked their employees not to not to comment on it. Sure. And you know, between that and between. Uh, uh, me moving into a job where I could no longer blog or podcast, we kind of said, let's, let's call it for now and we'll revisit, we'll revisit everything later at a later date. <laughs> and it's just never come back. No, uh, not yet. Okay. Uh, you know, we've kind of gone our separate ways yeah. and I'm very busy with my own firm at this point mm-hmm. and uh, other people are very busy in their, in their respective positions. Sure. Any, any thought in in managing your own firm now about whether you might do some other kind of content marketing maybe another podcast of your own uh, yeah i and I, i've been uh, going back and listening to old episodes of this podcast and i keep on thinking about it and uh, i've had an idea for an absolutely unrelated podcast uh-huh. uh, but i'm still mulling over whether or not i want to do that and whether or not if i got back into law podcasting what i'd do you know i will mention i've been on uh, this week in law several times mm-hmm. both uh you know i think i was on it either four or five times going back to like twill episode 40 something uh so that's been that's always been great and i've actually made some good contacts Mm -hmm. through being on twill and listening to twill and uh even a couple of local people so you know that's been that's been a great experience but i don't know i'm still considering whether or not to start my own podcast again it's a great experience but it's also it's a lot of work well let's talk about that a lot of work because Mm -hmm. you know i want to emphasize that i think in the four or five years since you've really been podcasting in earnest, things have gotten a lot easier. 
Yeah, and I, I should say the way I did my last podcast, it was a lot of work. It was uh, again a lot of work in quotes. You know, yeah, it double would under. <laughs> it, it would take a an hour to record, uh, including yeah. you know getting everything set up, making sure everything was recording. Uh, it would take maybe another half hour to an hour to edit, to make the post, do all the show notes, upload it. Um, and, uh, you know, on the front end, because we were reading so many articles and because we did legal research to prepare, mm-hmm. it was probably a good three to four hours worth of research and preparation a week. Yeah. So, you know, it was five to six hours a week worth of work for this, mm-hmm. uh, which it's not a ton, but it's also not nothing. You it's, know, it's, it's a big, it's a good big chunk day. of the work week if you've got other things in your life than just your job. Uh, right. Yeah. And. Obviously, if you're doing a conversational podcast like this, you know, mm-hmm. there's there's still some prep. I went back and I looked at my old archives. I got I got some dates back in my head and yeah. kind of revisited how things worked. Uh, but, you know, a conversational podcast other than booking people takes takes a lot less time than one where you're actively trying to look at news stories and prepare uh-huh. for them and comment on them. And and frankly, you know, the other thing about about the newsy kinds of shows is that they're not very evergreen you know you yeah have, they you have do to, have a shelf life you have to keep putting out new content every week for it to be meaningful and um yeah so you know the uh, other subjects are sometimes a little better and, and certainly there are evergreen topics within the substantive law but uh as you as you said there are some concerns about speaking publicly on substantive issues that can later come back so right. interesting um so are you doing any blogging or anything else in your? I am, business? yeah. Uh, my, um, I currently every now and then I'll still post something to technicallylegal.org, dot org, and mm-hmm. uh, I've got a blog on my firm site, um, the Modern Renaissance Legal uh, mm-hmm. site, and I, I post there about twice a week. Um, I try to do it both regularly and when I'm inspired. <laughs> sometimes they coincide, and sometimes they don't. Have you found that putting out content like that has been helpful in the practice? Are, are clients referring to it when they come in the door? Uh, nobody has yet, oh. but I'm still, I mean, and I've only had the blog at the current oh, levels okay. of activity for a few months now. I so, mm-hmm. um, I don't think I've landed any clients through the blog, mm-hmm. but I understand that that's a long-term game. You know, you want content on there, you want content that that's searchable. And I keep on trying to look for topics that are questions that I'm being asked mm-hmm. because, you know, if somebody's going to Google something, they're going to Google the question sure. that they're going to ask. So. You know, uh, I'm I'm doing that with an eye on the fact that it may be several months to a year before that really starts to turn around. Mm-hmm. Okay. So during the days you were you were doing technically legal, mm-hmm. were there any? Well, give me the highlights and the lowlights. <laughs> uh, highlights were definitely when I was asked to be on this week in law. Mm-hmm. I mean, as somebody who had been listening to podcasts for a while and was a big fan of the Twit Network, yeah. uh, you know, being asked to guest on a show that was on the Twit Network was you know, pretty great. You know, I remember getting the first uh, Skype invitation from I think it was Dane. Yep, Dean, Dane, Dane, Dane. Dane? Yeah, uh, and that was that was real exciting. It's like, oh, it's somebody who's actually there. Where Leo? Uh, yeah, Leo records from. <laughs> so that was great. Uh, low points. You know, every now and then it felt like a slog. As far as like the worst technical glitch that happened, 
I was trying out a new piece of software to record my Skype call. Oh boy! Um, that was called Audio Hijack Pro, mm-hmm. and it, it, it I just had misconfigured it someday, or maybe it was like right after we skipped, switched over to Ventrilo, and something wasn't configured quite right. I see. So my speech was being filtered through the recording app and then back into my ear hmm. with like a split second delay. Oh my. And I don't know if you've ever had that, but having somebody say what you're saying right back to you, like as it's coming out of your mouth, is incredibly distracting. <laughs> I uh, and I couldn't, I just couldn't figure it out in time to fix it for the call. And afterward, we got off, we got off the call, and <laughs> the two other guys on the podcast asked if everything was all right because I sounded really off for the whole mm. podcast. And I was like, whoop, I thought I was, thought I was thought uh, hiding, hiding it, it well. pretty well. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> Are you still listening to a lot of podcasts? I do. Um, I've uh, I've been paring it down and kind of switching around which ones I listen to. But you know, I have I have podcasts that uh, pop up every day of the week. Mm-hmm. Everything from you know, kind of the standards like Planet Money to um, trivia podcasts like Good Job Brain. Um, if you've heard of that one, uh-huh. um, I'm uh, kind of flipping through them right now. The Entertainment Law Update podcast. I don't know if you've heard about that one, but you it's know- really interesting. I think the host of that is someone I've met. Yeah. Okay. Is that Tamara? <laughs> I have met Tamara. Yes. Okay. <laughs> For those who aren't in the know, that's my show, my my flagship podcast on the entertainment law subject, and Tamara Bennett is my co-host on that. Thank you for mentioning it, Ben. Yeah, my pleasure. And then uh, some of the more storytelling podcasts: Invisibilia, Ninety Nine Percent Invisible, um, The Memory Palace. So uh, I've got a pretty pretty wide variety of podcasts that I listen to. And I um I spend a lot of time with my headphones in to kind of drown out background noise. So I really like that. Are you uh, in your current firm? Are you in a home office situation or a office office or what? A uh, co-working space. Oh, nice. Yeah. So uh, I've got my home office when I want peace and quiet mm-hmm. and uh, my co-working space when I don't want Netflix nearby. <laughs> Gotcha. Okay, so so you've considered maybe doing a podcast for your for your firm, but you're not sure. That's a big time investment, et cetera. Yeah, um, it's more of finding an area where I don't think the market's saturated and where I think I could make it work as far as mm-hmm. time wise goes. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about just doing something on an area that might be interesting to your to your potential clients and referrals, but but that isn't a substantive law topic? You know, as you well, you said you mentioned a non legal topic. Yes, right? and there's not. The non-legal area would actually be uh, I'll I'll reveal this and you know mm-hmm. if somebody tries to poach my idea so be it uh, Jeopardy <laughs> oh. I'm a big fan of Jeopardy and there is no podcast about Jeopardy the closest thing there is is there's a website called the Final Wager oh. that uh, talks about um, some game theory that goes into the wagers in Final Jeopardy huh. uh, but you know there's no there's no Jeopardy podcast. That's interesting. It could be a lot of fun. You could interview former champions and people like that too. And yeah, yeah and uh, part of it is I'm still working out what the format of that would be. Uh-huh. You know, do you spend time talking about the week's episode and then do an interview, or yeah, how that works out? Okay, yeah, interesting. Well, I mean, you you've got you know clients in the arts and and media, and that could be very interesting to them as well. I mean, it's it's one of those universal or a, a, sh- a a topic that could have a fairly universal appeal. And then, you know, there it is sponsored by you and your firm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, luckily because most of the work that I do is federal, you Uh know, copyright, trademark, patent, and then just general contract work. Yeah. And yeah, I can take clients from pretty much anywhere in the United States. 
Well, we might have a debate about that on the okay. <laughs> on the topic of where you're entitled to practice law. I think you're probably right about that, but uh, there are those that I know disagree on that subject. So, yeah. Uh, interesting. All right. So uh, tell us where listeners can find you. Uh, they can find me at uh, modrenlegal, M-O-D-R-E-N legal.com. You can also still uh, head over to technicallylegal.org, and that's got a huge database of uh, – uh, older posts about everything from trademark law to the Stored Communications Act and the Digital Millennium Copyright Act and uh, everything in between. Uh, that's a great resource and actually still gets a fair amount of traffic even though we're not updating it super recently. Well, and that's evidence in favor of the notion of, of blogging and podcasting as a tool yeah. to attract, as you said, traffic. And if you do it right, you can shift that traffic into leads and customers. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, is our episodes of the podcast still available on iTunes? Yeah, they are actually, um, uh, somewhat amusingly. We, uh, when I took my job, I went through and deactivated, just went through WordPress and kind of hit, you know, uh-huh. deactivate on all of the posts that I had written because they asked me to take them off and same with the podcasts. Yeah. And, uh, the day after I left, I, uh, sat in, <laughs> restored them back to publish status. Yeah. Put them, published them all back up. <laughs> <laughs> that's great so your body of work lives on that's wonderful it does okay well this has been really fun and interesting and it's nice to talk to you again after all these years um, you know and, and I think we've given the listeners some food for thought about whether podcasting is for them uh, so thank you I'm grateful and um, uh, I appreciate it so once again Ben Snitkoff from Modern Renaissance Legal that's modrenlegal.com and technicallylegal.org and the podcast called Technically Legal, uh, no longer being produced, but still a, a nice resource. And and I remember enjoying the dynamic between you and your co-host. So thank so you very thanks, much. Thanks very much. And I'll say thanks also to the listeners of the show. I hope you'll take a moment to send us your comments and suggestions on our website over at lawpodcaster.com. And uh, give us an honest review on iTunes, on the iTunes store. Uh, that's very welcome and helps us position ourselves in the rankings and so on. And uh, that about wraps it up for this episode of the Law Podcasting Podcast. Um, if you are interested in podcasting for your law practice, come on over to lawpodcasting.com. We have a series of free videos that are available to uh, help you learn all about law marketing generally and podcasting more specifically. The Power Podcasting for Lawyers course is now available, and you can find out more about that there too. And until next time, we'll say keep on podcasting.